I used to rely on buses and trains to get into uni. So uh, I remember figuring out um, to the kind of minute what was the latest time I could possibly get out of bed in order to quickly jump up, have a quick shower, chuck on my clothes, scoff down, scoff down some, um, uh, some wheat bix and run to the bus stop just in time to see the bus turning up. And those moments when you arrived just as the bus got there were just the sweetest moments because you, know that you knew that you'd had uh, the maximum amount of time possible in bed. Um, I used to even try and trick myself. Sometimes I'd, maybe you've done this. Um, so uh, I remember a time when I'd set my watch five minutes too fast. Um, and I knew it, right? I, I, I knew uh, that it was fast, but even though I knew it, I still was able to trick myself, and when I look at the, the clock, I would um, still even think you get that jolt of adrenaline and think, oh, I've got it. Oh. But then you get the relief of knowing that you're actually not that late. <laughs> Sometimes, uh, you know, it, it's important to know the time, isn't it? Sometimes it can be kind of funny. Sometimes it can be serious. Um, knowing what time it is is key to knowing how to act, how to live, right? How, what, what to do. Uh, you'll know something like this if you're on a medication that you need to take at particular times. You've got to know what time it is, uh, otherwise things can go wrong, right? Or maybe you have experience in a profession that relies on accurate running of time. I remember I used to know someone who uh, worked in um, ports, and um, I was just, just amazed at the complexity of, all, of what they had to do in terms of getting the stuff off the ships, and just incredible operation, uh, to get this. It's so complex and you've got to know the time to know how to act, to know what to do at any particular moment. Knowing the time is important. It helps you to know what the appropriate thing to do at any moment is. Um, there are different things, different activities that are appropriate to different times, different times. Friends, it's no different uh, when it comes to living as a Christian. It's no different when it comes to living as a Christian person. Uh, knowing what time it is, is absolutely key, absolutely critical. And not, of course, just on a small scale, not in terms of, you know, it is important that you know that the Christmas service is at nine o'clock and you do get here. That, that, that's not the sort of time I'm talking about in terms of the Christian life. Uh, not just in small things, but on a big scale, on the biggest sense how do we fit in to the great timeline of the world, the, the Bible's big story? How do we fit in? What time is it? Uh, different Christian traditions, you might have, experience, have some experience of this, different Christian traditions have different emphases on this issue of kind of knowing the time. Uh, some, uh, perhaps I think overly focused on kind of numbers and secret messages have come up with quite elaborate schemes to figure out kind of exactly what time we're in. Uh, but for the Apostle Paul here in Romans, in Romans chapter 13, there's really only two big things, two big things that loom large for him. And whatever you want to say about other things that, uh, that might influence this, for Paul there are two big things, two huge things that take up his focus when he's thinking about what time it is. What time it is. And he's shown them to us, he shows them to us in a really, I think, a really profound way in Romans chapter 12 and 13. Uh, these two chapters we've been kind of reading through over the last number of weeks, these few chapters, um, they kind of hang together in Paul's letter, 
We saw it at the start of chapter 12. It's this new kind of section in his letter. Um, in chapter 14, which we'll return to next year, um, chapter 14, he, start, he goes on to a different issue. He starts talking about a specific issue to do with the Christians in Rome that's important for us as well. But these two chapters, chapters 12 and 13, they kind of hang together. Um, they, uh, and, and, they, and they talk in a more general way about what it means for Christian people, for anyone, to live in the light of the gospel, in the light of the first 11 chapters of Romans, what it means to live in the light of that. Uh, and key for Paul is this idea of understanding the time. Why I mention that, that 12 and 13 hang together, uh, is because he's framed... This whole section, these two important chapters in Romans, he's, he's kind of framed them right at the start and right at the end with these two really big time markers that are critical for Paul, for the Apostle Paul, in terms of knowing what the time is, knowing when we are. These two big time markers. If you were here when, we, uh, when Alex took us through chapter, the first bit of chapter 12, you might remember that right at the start of chapter 12, Paul says... He introduces these chapters saying, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, in view of God's mercy, the main theme of the first 11 chapters is this overwhelming, incredible mercy and kindness of God to people who had rejected him and rebelled against him, but who he has made possible to bring back into his family through Jesus' death on the cross. This past mercy of God, this undeserved grace, our natural state, and we'll have some pictures come up on the screen. Perhaps you'll uh, recognise these from previous weeks. For Paul, our natural state uh, is this idea of being in Adam, in fallen humanity, humanity that's rejected God and turned away. Another way he's talked about that is being in the flesh. The flesh, if you remember, being not... Uh, it's not saying physical things are bad, but human beings in their opposition to God, in the flesh. Uh, all of us are cut off from God because of, this, of our rebellion and sin. Life in Adam has no future. The end point of that life, you can see at the end, is death. But for Paul, this, this great um, time marker for him to know what the time is, uh, something has crashed into this situation. If you go to the next slide, um, we'll see uh, the part, uh, you'll see that God has broken into this sad state in Jesus. God has broken in in Jesus with his incredible mercy and made it possible, if we'll keep going to the next slide, made it possible for people who are still in this fallen world to actually have a new self, uh, to no longer be in Adam, but to be transferred to being connected to Jesus, to, to living in Christ, this great, incredible new reality that is ours. And for Paul, if you go to the next slide, you see one of the main things that he, he, he wants the, the people in Rome to know is you've got to keep looking back at this incredible mercy of God. That's why at the start of chapter 12 he says all of this in view of God's mercy, in view of the mercy that God has poured out on you, through Jesus. In view of God's mercy, this is how you live. This is what living in view of God's mercy looks like. The past mercy of God for Paul overshadows everything. Overshadows everything. 
But here in these last verses of chapter 13, so if chapter 12 and 13 sort of hang together, these last verses of chapter 13, he changes his vision from looking back to the next slide, looking forward. Uh, looking forward. It's like these two perspectives kind of frame everything he says. If you want to live well as God's person, you've got to see what time it is. You have to keep looking back at God's mercy, his undeserved grace to you. It shapes everything. But there is more to say. Uh, we don't only look back at what God has done in the past. Through being united with Christ, we have new life with God. We are free from sin and death. Uh, but even though we are really and ultimately free of them, we still experience sin and death, right? We still experience it. Even though in Jesus we are saved from God's wrath, we still wait for that salvation to be fully worked out. And not only for us people, but we read in chapter 8, for the whole creation. The whole creation will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. And for Paul, this other perspective, not only looking back at what God has done, but looking forward to this great new future that God has promised to bring in, this other perspective is, is equally important for us to know how to live well in response to the gospel. That's why he says in verse 11 there, if you have your Bibles in front of you, that's why he says in verse 11, and do this, that is what he said before, maybe specifically what he's just said, but probably taking up the whole couple of chapters, do all of this understanding the present time. Chapter 12 and 13 have just been incredible, right? These incredible chapters where Paul um, shows with such depth what it looks like to live as a Christian. Offer your bodies to God as living sacrifices. Give yourself in service to Christ's body, the church. Live together in genuine forgiveness and patience. Rightly submit to the authorities of governments. Pay your debts. And over it all, remember last week, loving one another and so fulfilling the law. But Paul knows that in our, in, to, to do this rightly, we need to understand the time. We need to see where we sit and we need to know what's behind us in view of God's mercies. But we also need to know what's ahead of us if we're going to understand and live well in the present time. Verse 11, and do this, understanding the present time. The hour has already come for you to wake up from your slumber because our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. The night is nearly over. The day is almost here. This coming future reality for Paul kind of exerts a pressure on him. It gives him a sense of urgency. It's kind of like he's, he's jumping out of bed with his eye on the clock because he knows the bus is coming, right? but it's much more glorious than that. Uh, our salvation, our, do you see what it said there? Our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. And so, sorry, if I'm skipping through, uh, back to, through slides here, but if you go back to the slides, the very last one, we could rename uh, this, these kind of different 
ways of talking about the time for Paul. We can rename our diagram. The night, life in Adam, life in the flesh, is almost over. The day, life in Christ, is almost here. The night is nearly over. The day is almost here. We belong, if we are in Christ, if we are united to him by faith, we belong to the day. We belong to the day. The day of Christ, not to the night of Adam, not to the flesh, not to humanity in its rebellion against God. That way of living has no future and it won't satisfy. In Christ we belong to a new humanity, a new creation reconciled to God and to each other. And so Paul says even though, even though that day, that coming day, isn't yet here, it's almost here. Uh, we don't know when Jesus will return to judge all things, all that's evil. We don't know when Jesus will return to wipe away every tear and make everything new. We know that he will. We know that he will because our confidence is based on those past mercies of God, the historic reality of Jesus. We know that he will return, but we don't know when. It could be at any moment. So Paul says, because in Christ the day is almost here, because we belong to the day, that it's right for us we can and should live as if we were living in the day. Living in the daytime. Um, the time has come, Paul says. 13 verse 11. This is what for Paul it looks like to live in this daytime for us here and now. Verse 11. The time has come to wake up from your slumber. Perhaps you... Uh, know of people who you need to prod to wake up from their slumber? Well, Paul's saying you need to have a prod. <laughs> you need water splashed over your face. The time has come to wake up from your slumber. It's like we're living in the dawn, right? The light of the dawn. The light, is, the light has come, it's, but the, the sun hasn't quite risen yet, but it's coming. It's around the corner and it's time to wake up. And Paul knows that it is very easy to fall asleep as a Christian. To have your life shaped more by what is around you than by these great eternal realities. We tend to live, don't we? We tend to live kind of, we tend to live anchored in yesterday and tomorrow, actually. We, we tend to live anchored in yesterday and tomorrow we so easily are shaped by yesterday's regrets and by tomorrow's worries. They're the kind of time markers that exert the most pressure on us. But to live dominated by our yesterday or our tomorrow fails to understand the present time. If we live like that, we'll fall asleep as Christians. In Christ, there is a far greater yesterday that dominates our life. Not our past achievements, not our past regrets, but God's past mercies in Jesus. In Christ, there is a far more glorious tomorrow that our lives strain towards, 
not what's on our calendar next, but what's on, what on, what's on God's calendar next. The coming day of our salvation. When death and evil and sin and sorrow and sadness will be no more, and when we will live in freedom and glory. And Paul says understanding that means we need to wake up. Don't be asleep to these eternal truths. Don't basically go about life as a Christian as if the gospel were a small thing, as if your yesterday and your tomorrow were the most important things about your life. They're not, if you're in Christ. God's past mercies and his future salvation, they're the big time markers of your life that shape you. And Paul says, having woken up, give your face a splash, have your breakfast if you need to first, and get dressed. Verse 12. The night is nearly over. The day is almost here. So let us put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armour of light. Uh, Paul uses this image of clothing quite a lot. Uh, if you're know, familiar with some of Paul's other letters, he uses this image of clothing. It's a really powerful one. I think it's powerful because the clothes we wear, they're an expression of ourselves, right? They kind of express of who we are. They don't make us who we are. They don't make us who we are. They reflect who we already are, the clothes we wear. I, I could get kitted out in all the right gear for the Australian rugby team, the Wallabies, Apologies for my East Coast sporting heritage. Uh, I could get kitted out in all the right gear, but no one is going to be under any, any illusion that I'm actually on the team. And I have slowly come to accept the fact that I'll never be a wallaby. Uh, the, the clothes that you wear reflect who you are, right? They don't make you who you are. And Paul uses this image for the things that we do, the way that we live. Our, our actions are like, our actions in this life are like clothes. Uh, they don't kind of make us who we are, they reflect who we are. God in his infinite mercy and grace has made us into new people if we are in Christ. We have been given freely by his grace a new identity. We belong to the day, not the night's. So it just doesn't make sense to put on the clothes of nighttime, the deeds of darkness. If you've been made a member of the Wallabies, you put on the jersey. If you've been made a child of God through faith in Jesus, you put on the Jesus jersey. <laughs> you, the, you put on the clothes that belong to your new identity. Put on the armour of light. That's interesting, isn't it, how Paul says the armour of light? This has this sense of struggle and battle. Living in this world, you see what Paul's asking us to do here, or exhorting us to do, is to live in this world as if we belong to another, as if we belong to the, the next. If you do that, it is always going to be a battle. It'll mean you have a totally different set of assumptions about life, about a totally different set of assumptions about what time it is, uh, that's going to clash 
with all the assumptions of this world. It'll mean you'll make big life decisions that just will not make sense to people who are not in Christ. And you'll do it because your life is dominated. You'll do it not, not because, because your life is dominated, not by your yesterday or your tomorrow. Those aren't the things that drive you ultimately. They are important, don't hear me wrong. But they're not the great time markers of your life. You'll do it because your life is dominated by God's great mercy and future salvation. And it'll be a battle. Not a physical one, a spiritual one. Living as if in the day will mean a battle against what Paul calls down in verse 14, if you can see it there, what Paul calls the desires of the flesh. So Paul says, wake up, get your, get your clothes on, and get going. In verse 13 to 14, Paul says, get going, start living in line with this day. Verse 13, let us behave decently as in the daytime, not in carousing or drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and debauchery, not in dissension and jealousy. Rather, clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ and do not think about how to gratify the desires of the flesh. Uh, there's lots to say about this, but friends, it's really important to see that this is not something that is kind of anti-joy or anti-happiness. It's possible to misunderstand this and have a kind of basically bleak view of the Christian life, uh, to think that God is basically a, a, a great killjoy in the sky who wants us to walk around with kind of an overly serious look in our face and make sure we never have any fun. That's not what's going on here. We saw this... Um, we saw something like this going on back in chapter 1, this idea of the desires of the flesh. This isn't talking about things that will make us happy. It's talking about things that will enslave us. The idea, of talk, of, the idea here is ta of taking, taking good things, taking things that are in themselves good, and desiring them so much that they kind of take God's place. They become what Paul calls idols for us. So instead of enjoying alcohol as a good gift of God to be enjoyed with proper restraint, we crave it and we use it to excess and drunkenness. Or instead of recognising the right place of sex as a good gift of God for the relationship of marriage, we see it as something that's sort of core to our identity and fulfilment and we pursue it at all costs, turning it into an idol. And friends, the, the tragedy of these, these desires of the flesh, these wrongly ordered desires, turning good things into God things, the tragedy is that these can never deliver what they promise. Real, lasting pleasure and joy and life is found in relation to God living under his good and life-giving rule. All these other things, all these other things take their right and proper place under him and can be enjoyed rightly 
in their proper place according to God's good design. Far from being anti-joy, putting on the armour of light, waking up, clothing ourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ, putting off the deeds of darkness, drunkenness, sexual immorality, dissension and jealousy, all of this is the path to true and lasting joy because it's life lived with the great day of eternal joy and freedom in view. It's life lived in that day, not in this day of the flesh of Adam that is passing away and will not last. Friends, it's having this coming day in view that makes all the difference for our changed lives in the present. According to Paul, we often kind of grasp at these desires of the flesh. Um, We often grasp at them actually out of fear. We're afraid that we'll miss out in this life. We can be. We're afraid that we'll miss out and we think we've got to try and squeeze every bit of pleasure out of this short life. And if we don't, we'll be unfulfilled. The Gospel of Jesus tells a much better story, friends. With Jesus, there is no fear of missing out. We not only have God's past mercies, the wonderful news of his love given to us through Jesus' death on the cross in our place, we have that. We also have eternal, incomprehensible fulfillment and joy and glory awaiting us. We have the coming day of salvation where all that is wrong with the world will be put right. And can you see how much richer that is? How much more liberating and motivating to lives of holiness, to lives of genuine holiness, shaped by Jesus? How much richer that is than simply seeing this as a rule to say, don't have too much fun. That's not what it is at all. Well, friends, uh, traditionally these weeks leading up to Christmas, um, if you're more familiar with a kind of traditional church calendar, these weeks leading up to Christmas are known as the season of Advent, if you you kind of have heard that phrase before, uh, preparation kind of for Christmas. Um, If you're familiar with that, perhaps you'll know, though, that while while the Advent season looks for Christmas, it kind of does look towards the first, the word Advent, Advent kind of means coming, the, the Advent season does look towards the first coming of Jesus. Um, its main focus is actually to prepare us for his second coming, his second Advent. Uh, I think it's quite great, actually. It's kind of an inbuilt yearly clock to remind us what time we're living in so that we can kind of continually shape our lives according to it. Uh, we have it in Easter, right? Easter, the great focus of Easter is on God's past mercies in the gospel of Jesus' death and resurrection. Advent and Christmas is not primarily about remembering gentle Jesus, meek and mild, actually. Uh, But it's actually more than that. It is that. It is that. Uh, But more than that, it is a reminder that his first advent guarantees his second advent. His second coming, this time not as a baby, but in all his glory, to judge and renew the world. Not in that poor lowly stable with the oxen standing by, we shall see him, but in heaven, 
set at God's right hand in high, on high, where like stars his children crowned all in white shall wait around. Friends, we often think of Christmas time, don't we, as a nice, uh, as a family time. It is that, and it's a celebration. It is a celebration. I wonder, though, if we've forgotten something of the nature of Christmas that ought to actually disturb us a little bit, that ought to wake us up, give us a sense of urgency, to remind us that our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. Because the day is coming and is almost here when we will be forever with the Lord. Christmas tells of the dawning of a new day. It is a wonderful thing, and we'll celebrate that tonight and next week at Christmas Day. Uh, We kind of live between the first light of dawn and the full sunrise. We live between this. Uh, The day is, is coming, friends. It's almost here. If you're here this morning and you're not a Christian person, you don't recognize yourself in these things that we've been chatting about today, consider not staying in the night. If you, that the night is almost gone, it has no future, but Jesus offers you a glorious and wonderful eternal future. Jesus offers you light and life. If you have received Jesus, Um, that life through Jesus. It's worth us asking as we kind of reflect though and finish up, what are the big time kind of markers that you find yourself dominating your life? Uh, Is it your yesterday and your tomorrow? For all of us, I'm sure it is to one extent or another, right? That's our yesterday and our tomorrow. And without in any way downplaying the significance of your yesterday and your tomorrow, this passage is a wonderful encouragement that there is a greater yesterday and a greater tomorrow to shape your life by. So brothers and sisters, understanding the present time, let's wake up. The day is almost here. Let's put aside the deeds of darkness Let's put on the armour of light. Let's behave decently as in the daytime, not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and debauchery, not in dissension and jealousy. Instead of all that, let's clothe ourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ and do not even think about how to gratify the desires of the flesh. We need God's help to do that. I'm going to pray for us. Let's pray. Father, thank you for opening our eyes through the gospel to, to a way of thinking about life that is so much richer and bigger than our yesterday and our tomorrow. Thank you for revealing to us the great story of, of the, your, your love for this world and for your people through Jesus. Thank you, Father, that we live with your past mercies in view. Thank you for the freedom and confidence that gives us Thank you that through being united to Jesus, all that's his is ours. And all that's ours, he takes on himself. But Father, we know we still struggle in this life. Before the second advent of Jesus, we still struggle with 
sin and suffering and death and in, in many ways. Father, we pray that today you will help us to refocus our vision on the coming day, this great and glorious day of, of Jesus that is almost here. Father, help us, please, to shape our lives more and more in line with it. And we pray that that will show itself in lives of joyful obedience to you, in lives of love for each other and for our neighbour. And we pray that that will make a huge impact, not only in our church family, but in the community around us. And we pray all of that for your glory. In Jesus' name. Amen.